I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. I am super crazy pumped today because I'm speaking, finally, with Aaron from Down to the Crossroads. How are you, my dear? Hey, I'm good. How are you? God, I'm so goddamn pumped. I'm just like... I, I mean, pumped like Arnold Schwarzenegger in fucking Predator pumped. I am just like ready to go. This is going to be awesome. Hell yeah, man. I don't mm-hmm. actually think I've ever seen that show all the way through. I don't know why I chose that as my reference. I don't either. <laughs> it's awfully weird. Uh, it is May 17th, and we have a fantastic show for you this week. We're going to start with a little devil's advocate. Uh, yous, the listeners, have been asking me to include more of Megas Gilmore's writings in our discussions, so that's what I'm going to do this week with Iron Youth. I thought it was appropriate because our conversation last week, he mentioned it. So, there you have it. In Infernal Informant, two articles, one of them sent in by you, the listeners, again. A student sues college after failing course, dot, 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 twice. <laughs> I, do, would it be worse? Is it, which is worse, Aaron? Saying dot, 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 or saying ellipses? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, both? Which is stupid. You could just say, you could, you could just take that pause that that ellipses implies <laughs> you know, silently, as they probably wish you to do. I hadn't even thought of that option. (laughs) The the ellipses is silent in this case. (laughs) Well, the second article is across U.S. Knife laws can differ by state, city, even town. This reminds me of uh, West Side Story for some reason. Anytime knives are brought up, I think immediately of West Side Story. All right. And of course, Aaron is here. We're going to do it down to the crossroads. We missed a month. We desperately missed a month, right? It was, or yeah, was it man. two? Was it God, one? I hope not. It I like think it was just time. one. All right. Well, we do it have a, a wonderful episode 33. What's this one called? It's called Every Day I Have the Blues. And it is a mm. tribute to um, our recently lost B.B. King. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward yeah. to that. We're going to close it out with a creature feature. Now, of course, this is going to be a really long episode, people, so uh, strap in, lean back, grab your preferred drink of choice. We're going to be talking about something different, which will make sense in that segment. Uh, And now I'm going to be speaking with Heather Height about that. So, Church of Satan, Year 50 International Member Conclave was a couple weeks ago. This was in Washington, D.C. You... If you've tuned in to every episode in the past couple weeks, then you've heard a number of us speaking about the event. You haven't heard Aaron speak about it. And so I wanted to speak, since now I have you in my clutches for at least another hour. Um, at most another hour, really. I hope. Uh, all I get is an hour a month. It's the worst, worst ever. Oh, I know. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, sort of uh, highs and lows. So you attended said conclave what did you think what was a 
How, how oh was my it gosh. Oh, it was great. I had a really good time. Josh and I went. Uh, we live in Baltimore, so it was sort of um, just we didn't have to get a hotel room. We ended up getting a hotel room one of the nights. Mm. Um, and the second night, we ended up um, breaking the curfew that <gasps> Baltimore City has set. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, we had a great time. I the Some of the salons were just just blew me away a lot of mm. them were so much fun and so edifying and interesting um i'm glad you got heather on this show because her salon was one of my favorites um good stuff yeah man i really you know i mean they were all well i can't say all but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be disingenuous but um <laughs> i um, i think i know what you're talking about like <laughs> i, I We'll talk about that off the mics. Um, <laughs> She's talking about mine, everyone. <laughs> She's talking about. Of which I was part, so. That's just, We're self-deprecating sort here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. But, um, so yeah, uh, Heather's was one of my highlights. I don't know if, if I got to that point I was trying to make. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there were a lot of really good ones. Jesse's was fantastic i was so impressed with jesse's um yeah, from i dream of jesse yeah she was terrific and i don't want to now i feel like i have to name every one of them that i liked but i can't do that because yeah, there we were can. too many but <laughs> and some of them <laughs> but uh <is>. heather's <laughs> heather's i really connected with because it really spoke to me about you know a lot of the reasons i just you know i, I identified mm. with her so it was really nice but um yeah, man, and I, geez, some of the, some of them were really moving and really really interesting. So mm -hmm. it's nice. It's nice being able to get that that view of so many people you've never met, or maybe you've met but you've never really known well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in in their way. I I know this is a little unfair for the listeners who don't really have a <laughs> clear picture of what we're talking about. But sorry, sucks to be you. You didn't go, so <laughs> you're not gonna. Membership has its privileges. <laughs> Indeed. Um, it was it was a good time. Did you have any lows? Well, the, the DC fucking bums me out, man. <laughs> I uh, I've always had something against that city ever ever since. Actually, I think I told this story on our our holiday oh, excuse me our holiday special um, about going to DC when I was a kid in an RV on a trip to Disney World <laughs> and getting robbed. And ever since then, DC and I have just not gotten along. And uh, every time I go there, I want to cut off my own head somehow. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> I always have a great time. I, you know, I go to DC a lot to see my favorite band in the world, White Denim. Um, but every time we go to DC, it is a giant clusterfuck. And this was no exception. Like parking is a nightmare. Traffic's a nightmare. You know, you just can't get anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. So if I were going to bitch about anything about <laughs> that weekend, it was just the fact that I had to be in DC that I hate so much. But I must say that the venues that that were chosen in the area in which everything took place was gorgeous. I've never seen DC more beautiful. Um, yeah. There's a lot of shitty parts of DC and we happened to be in a, a, an area I'd never spent much time and it was gorgeous. Embassy, um, you know, the embassies and the flowers were blooming and there were people everywhere and they were, it wasn't like a crack house, <laughs> <laughs> which is what I think of when I think of DC. Places it was weird. I, I had zero experience with DC, so I, I had not been robbed I was not doused in shit or Coca-Cola, so it was a really wonderful experience for me, um, mm. just walking around and taking the local buses to get around places. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And I, I did everything early enough to miss every single tourist, like, swarm. 
which nice. was really wonderful. And then, of course, the other people were great. So, well, I'm glad yeah. we we <laughs> only got to connect a couple times briefly, but it, it is always nice seeing you. Yeah. And, uh, Josh was good too. Not as good. Not as good as you. Yeah. That's not what most people's can you know conception of it was. <laughs> yeah. It's for like uh like literally pushing me out of the way to to talk to Josh. <laughs> like oh you know. Uh, oh, Aaron, Josh! Uh, hand Josh? on your face as they push you away. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Josh was here. Yeah, face pushes everywhere. Yeah. I, always, um, I love that. That's really funny. I look, yeah. I look forward to another 20 years or 25 years down the line and we see what happens. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. Well, um, just uh, wanted to give a note out to people before we go any further here. Uh, with all the segments that are a part of Nine Cents now... Uh, there are more being added, and I want to make sure everyone understands that every segment is, uh, if not right now available, will be available, every episode of every segment, on 9centspodcast.com. So they're all available, isolated, taken out of the episode. So if you just want to tune into a specific segment, you can absolutely do that. I'm not going to attach it to any RSS feed. You're going to have to do a little bit of work on your own if you want to really consume the content that way. But just so you know that the the contributors put in a lot of time and effort, and I think it's important that you are able to access that at any moment of the day. So if it's 3 in the morning and you are at your 85th glass of wine and you just really 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 want to tune in to every single episode of down to the crossroads like i did last night then you can you absolutely can and just go to the website and just serial listen to them it's better than a weekend of netflix a weekend with aaron is fantastic so you can do it people. this is your chance if you're an insane masochist i, would, <laughs> I recommend doing that <laughs> it's good stuff so I, I kind of want to vent about something here really quick if I can. So I, I don't live in the largest house. Uh, and so the space we have is, um, it's precious, I'll say. When we had, like my daughter actually took my office <laughs> when she was born. And I'll never forgive her. No, so a lot of like my crap has just for the past six years been like stuffed in a corner of her closet. And I finally decided to clear it out the other day. And it was after like a month of trying to get her to clean her room. <laughs> Just torture trying to get this girl to clean her damned room. And we're framing it like the only thing we haven't done is bribe her. And I want to be able to figure out a way to do it without having to bribe her. But I'm not entirely sure I can. Um, and so it got to a point where my wife actually like took away all of the crap from a room and so now it's just books and clothes and a handful of toys um, that she plays with but almost everything else that was just cluttering up the entire room is completely cleaned out and my daughter doesn't care like all she likes are books and clothes and so she's like i'm good <laughs> i don't need your toys oh. fuck off <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it a girl after my own heart <laughs> <laughs> it's so messed up um so i i finally cleared out all my crap and i had no idea how much junk that i had just laying around i'd completely forgotten about it. i'd collected 25 years ago that i just for some reason dragged with me to every new house we lived at throughout <laughs> the years it's weird going back through and looking. So a lot of my stuff was like my, my college art 
pieces and oh, stuff. Nice. Looking back at that stuff, it's like sheer depression oh, because some of it is horribly <laughs> bad, like just painfully <laughs> bad. And then every once in a while, you run across one that's really good, and you're like, yeah. "What the fuck? Yeah, I have degenerated. How did this happen?" <laughs> you peaked <laughs> early. <laughs> yeah. Peaked like, college. <laughs> I'm on the downslope. Um, so I, I had know. these wonderful experiences that like like high highs and really really low lows looking through my past portfolios and stuff wondering where am I going to go from here I think mm. I think the next thing I have to do is teach because I've got nothing else to contribute you should you'd be a great to teacher teach people yeah right yeah until you something <laughs> inappropriate when you were and I get screaming sued. at them <laughs> <laughs> yeah I have them all standing against the wall screaming at the backs of their heads um, that's my version of teaching by the way it sinks like in it. faster when you get from the behind of the head. Just, just behind you know, of the head. <laughs> behind of the head. That's how we speak. I love it. Um, no, it was really weird. And so I just had this really weird moment. And it just all the crap. Now I'm like calling all my friends. Hey, I've got all this shit. Please get it off my hands. And so I've had people coming over all weekend grabbing my shit. <laughs> just oh, taking God. it from me. It's pretty awesome. Like That's I don't great. have to have my own garbage. Other people are taking my garbage. It's pretty cool. What did you send to me? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I only sent oh. a pair of my dirty uh, jockey shorts. That's oh, that's for Josh, I assume. <laughs> no, they were for you. I don't think you oh, like weird. them, but there is something <laughs> a little bit sexy about a girl in dirty jockey shorts from a stranger she's met like oh, three gosh. times. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, are you calling yourself a stranger to me? That hurts my feelings. I thought we were. It does. It, it doesn't. Doesn't it feel like that to you though? Like we we know each other by voice only no i feel so deeply weird. connected to you i don't know what you're talking about okay well, <laughs> i do too i was totally kidding <laughs> totally not serious all right let's uh stop it there and dive into the show shall we hell yeah i'm gonna try to dig myself out of a fucking hole <laughs> there's no way uh, out <laughs> by Peter Gilmore. <laughs> it is the 25th year of the existence of the Church of Satan. We Satanists are continually accused by the media and hysterical Christian fanatics of child recruitment. They tell grim tales of a slavering Satanists lurking about playgrounds and schoolyards in search of apple-cheeked innocents who are to be kidnapped and then brainwashed into becoming servants of Satan. These feeble folk simply can't catch on to the fact that we find them, as well as the rotten fruit of their loins, to be unredeemably <laughs> mediocre and not even worth pondering, <laughs> let alone inviting into the Church of Satan. Such fantasies must stem from wishful thinking. These drones dearly hope that they will be considered important enough to get our attention. To such, I say, dream on. They also neglect our policy that only adults may join. The one exception to the rule is made for mature, young adults whose parents are members in good standing. <laughs> I love this. Yeah, man. So much. He has such a wonderful way of painting a picture. So good quotable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I wanted to talk about this specifically because uh, Megas Gilmore mentioned it in our conversation last week. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said about this. Uh do you, where do you think that comes from? Um, I know in the essay, Megas Gilmore is bringing up, you know, this this idea of wishful thinking. I think, you know, that's a humorous bent 
on it because I, I truly don't think that they want. I think it's based somewhere in fear. But where do you think this comes from, this idea that we, we're trying to corrupt people? Oh, gosh. Where does the idea come from? I mean, I'm sure it comes from Christianity. <laughs> I'm well, yeah. sure it comes from their ideas about um, what the devil, who the devil was and what he did. And, mm. um, you know, we're just adversaries. And so whatever awful things they can think of, they pin on us. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where people will understand, oh, that's that's not what Satanists do. That's, that's what devil worshippers are going to try to do, or that's what the bad I, kids are. I definitely think we're we're going to get there, and I bet it's, I bet, maybe in my lifetime, <laughs> nice. maybe in my lifetime we'll see a sort of general, more acceptance. I won't say a complete acceptance, uh, but maybe I'm being optimistic, <laughs> and yeah. I think maybe, the, maybe I'm being solipsistic too, because I live in a world um, where I'm pretty open about who I am and what I do. I work at a job that is very fortunately um, liberal-minded in the sense that it's an academic uh, library is where I work on a um, medical school campus um but it's academia and no one gives a shit you know i I strolled in there with my tattoos and my piercings you know totally like oh sorry about these you know and they're like we don't care this is an academic library and you know i'm gonna uh after we talk i'm gonna probably shave my head and they're not no one's gonna give a shit at work but the the thing my point is that like my boss makes jokes already about you know like we'll be talking about we were talking about christmas one time and he said you know we're, we're considering the jewish people in a library and then and then my boss was like oh and then you know the devil worshiper has to have her say and he's <laughs> totally kidding you know he's a very we have a good relationship he's a yeah. very funny man but and we all had a good laugh and everyone was like yeah you know the devil worshiper wink wink like they already know clearly i don't worship the devil and clearly i'm a normal person they've accepted me as one of their own i've been there long enough they know who i am but they know i'm a satanist most of them do some of them probably don't um but and no one gives a shit. So maybe I'm being sort of maybe I'm pro- projecting that idea because um, I know there are parts of the world. I'm sure where you live that n- nobody gets to do what I get to do. Yeah. I, even even where I live, it's it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, w- it was interesting. So when I was in the basic training, um, we went through a period of. Uh, one-on-ones with the drill instructor and he would sort of pull you in and look over your file and if he had any questions ask you questions and they would you know give you a chance to address any concerns or anything so one of his first ones was uh, I see here you're a Satanist I was like yes he's like what kind (laughs) I was like looking at him I was like I don't understand understand what you're asking me he's like well there's a number of different kinds of Satanists that I've heard about so I'm wondering what kind of Satanist are you like the satanic bible i don't know any other kinds of satanists and he's like oh okay no problem move on (laughs) and that was it like i (laughs) that was in uh, south carolina and i expected something greater than that type of a reaction and then even when i am outed in my workplace environment or i out myself all it is is one follow-up question it you know it's generally based around the idea how do you feel about kids don't give a fuck. Oh, okay. Well, let's move on then. You know, it's it's just that I want to make sure you're not what we've been taught to fear, right. even though inside we know it's all a lie. It's still like, you know, we know no boogeyman is under the bed, 
but every once in a while you're watching too many scary movies and you still can freak yourself out. And so sure. that's kind of the reaction I think people give us mm-hmm. when when they find out. I'm with you. I think in our life, lifetime it's going to be just, you know, it, it'll be like admitting you're a Scientologist. Like, ooh, that's weird. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I think so. Even though I, I hate to compare it. No, I do, but but we have, we're pretending we're like the normal people, and they probably will be like, oh yeah, like Scientology, and we'll go, well, nah, whatever. Like, who gives a shit what <laughs> yeah. you think? So yeah, think that if you. It, it's interesting because it also brings up this really wonderful point of how Satanists raise their children. Mm. So most Satanists I know either had a really, really good relationship with their family and they just sort of came across Satanism on their own, or they had a really bad experience with their family, rebelling against it, and that's how they came across Satanism in one way or another. Um, mm-hmm. I always think it's interesting because the majority of Satanists that I personally know with children don't have Satanist children. And mm. it all it was always an interesting thought to me because if if we are, you know, as has been mentioned before, chromosomally different. Or even in the conversation I had with Megas Gilmore last last week, where um, there could be a time where we're seen almost like uh, the Jews, in that it's not just a religion, it's a type of person. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a culture in and of itself that mixes ethnicity and religion. Um, mm-hmm. Blurring that line. If, if that's how we are, then we we won't have a lot of satanic children and so how does it it begs the question how do you raise children if you know that they're probably not just like everyone else in the world going to be like you Mm. so what type of what what type of an approach would you take if that were the case so i know you don't have any children you're not planning on ever having any children that i know of um but let's pretend for a second oh my god your vagina is destroyed by having a child you okay you didn't get a c-section i'm sorry in this fantasy that's fine it's completely <laughs> obliterated <laughs> you now have one hole it is a butthole and a vagina god is that what happens <laughs> oh. <laughs> i'm so glad i backed it out <laughs> the worst psa for having kids um yeah. everyone wants kids you get one hole uh <laughs> so, <laughs> so let, i mean if if you were raising a child how, how do you what type of an approach and we don't have to get crazy details, but what type of an approach do you imagine you would take? Aye, is it aye, something aye. where you would try to expose them to Satanism or as many other religions? Or would you sort of do a total hands-off? Like, no religion for my kid. I'm just going to let them figure stuff out on their own. God, that's a good question. I've never really thought about that. Um, I would. I, I feel hesitant to say that I would just have the hands-off approach to it. Eh, maybe. I don't know. Because <laughs> I was thinking, like, my parents definitely did. And I'm like, and then I thought, well, yeah. And so here we are. Like, <laughs> you, you figured it out and you figured it out for the best. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that. I see a lot of people. I don't know. God damn. That's a good question. I definitely, I, I don't, I wouldn't push any religion on them. That's, of course, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, um, any t- you know, because kids are going to rebel against you no matter who you are. Like, my mom was a hippie. And so, you know, I'm. I, I'm a uh, Hitler youth. <laughs> I'm a, I don't know the opposite of the hippie, but you know what I mean. Like, I just went crazy. Like, 
you know, I was against drugs and all of that shit because my, you know, because my mom was, she, she loved to smoke weed. You know, she was a hippie and she talked about it. So I was like, oh, that's not me. You know, no, thank mm-hmm. you. So kids are going to rebel no matter what, um, no matter who you are or what you do. So don't ever, I would imagine as a, a non-parent, I would take a very hands-off approach to everything except for their education, you know, shit like that. But yeah. Well, it's interesting do? because... I, I take a very uh, like hands-off approach when it comes to religions. Um, I was, of course, raised in a Mormon household where they forced it down on me until I was eight, and then they pretty much saw that I was not going in line like my brothers and sisters, so I, they just sort of left me alone, um, which, you know, to their credit, was a wonderful thing to do up and uh, you know from that point on. But it was uh, it was because it was forced so much that I think I rebelled in the way that I did. I, I do think I would have come across the Satanic Bible some other way, um, but it was because of that that sort of set me on that path initially. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of there actually being a hell and demons and scary things in the night mm-hmm. really sort of inspired my imagination and, and drove me down the path of looking for the occult, and, and that's where I found the Satanic Bible. But I know a number of people came in from an atheistic side, and so mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like no matter what, I would have stumbled across it. Um, for my children personally, I don't I don't like the idea of teaching a whole bunch of different religions to kids. <laughs> like, and Because what it does is it sets them up saying, it's important to mm-hmm. identify with a religion, right, right. and so I'm going to let you choose, but no matter what, you have to identify. You know, I don't like that. Even if it's an, it's never outright stated, it's an implied because you are literally indoctrinating them with every possibility. And so in their heads, they're like, well, shit, I have to choose one. Well, which one should I choose? Right. I, I don't think that's the right way to do it. Certainly not for my family. So what I like to do is just total hands off. If something comes up and they have a question, I address it and right. I answer it in as honest and open and as non-biased as I possibly can be and then point them in where they could learn more if they are interested. But I don't set it up like, okay, guys, it's Sunday, sit down. These are the Eastern religions. Next week, <laughs> right. we'll talk about the way, you know, I, I think that's mm-hmm. a weird way to approach it. And I think it's still indoctrinating. You don't, mm-hmm. and, and there's this weird assumption, like we need to believe in something, which I think is absurd. Mm-hmm. I even yeah. think, <laughs> I don't know how many people are going to hate me for this. I even think atheists, that's a religion. It's become its own religion. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, which Zaftig has spoken briefly to this in one of her episodes as well. But it's fervent disbelief is a belief. <laughs> At least it yeah. certainly seems to have been turned into a structure of one. And mm-hmm. so I don't even teach that. I literally completely hands off. You want to know about politics. You want to know about religion. You're going to have to ask me. I'm here to support you. When you're interested up until that point, I'm going to give you every other life, life, life lesson I think you're going to need. Yeah. So, And so it's interesting because if that's the approach some of the Satanists take, and then, you know, sharing as many different religions and philosophies with their children is another approach. Either way, it's still dramatically different than every single religious person because they yeah. all just shove their one, one truth uh, down <laughs> your throat. Uh, you know? It's <laughs> really, really weird. Um, yeah. I, I do love that that idea of satanic parenting and mm-hmm. encapsulated so well within this essay. Uh, Megas Gilmore did such a wonderful job. I do recommend everyone go check it out. It's in the Satanic Scriptures, uh, his collection of, of essays, which is, in my opinion, 
and I, I, I say mine, but I, I think I could speak for the majority of Satanists saying, uh, it is the companion to the Satanic Bible that you must read if you're going to understand Satanism. Uh, so do yourselves a favor, people. Iron Youth by Megas Gilmore. Let's do a little Infernal Informant, yeah? Yeah, man. What's going on with Uh, Infernal Informant. So this, uh, article is titled, Student Sues College After Failing Course Twice. <laughs> this is from the, um, Epic Times. Uh, so a Mr. Accordia University nursing student who twice failed to pass a required course has filed a federal lawsuit against the institution alleging she quote, broke down and wept more than once during a final exam because her professor didn't do enough to help her. Jennifer Brubella of some place in Pennsylvania filed suit <laughs> this month alleging Mr. Cordia University, along with school president Thomas Botsman, couple other people violated the Federal Rehabilitation Act. The suit filed by Scranton-based attorney who gives a shit? Harry McGrath um, contends Burbella suffers from anxiety, depression, and poor concentration. According to the complaint, Burbella was accepted into the school's nursing program in 2010. Even before her enrollment, Burbella had an, a quote, an existing predisposition that caused anxiety and depression. And throughout her time at the university, she experienced great anxiety as a result of her many challenges, both socially and academically, as well as medical issues with her family, the lawsuit contends. By March 2011, Burbella was being treated at the Campus Counseling and Psychological Service Center. Burbella quote, Burbella struggled throughout her studies at Misericordia University, but always continued to seek a bachelor's degree in nursing and appeared to be moving toward that goal. <laughs> I love this backhanded bullshit. Yeah. Um, albeit with some average, but primarily below average <laughs> grades. <laughs> Damn. In the end, Burbella did not receive a sufficient score to pass the course and graduate with the nursing degree, the suit says. For treating Burbella differently than the other disabled student, the university should be liable for unspecified damages in excess of $75,000, the lawsuit contends. Mr. Recordia's spokesman said the university does not comment on pending litigation. So, yeah. So I wasn't wow. even sure if this was a real article, to be honest, because oh, I've never real. heard of Epic Times before. <laughs> no, but it's other places. I read it in the Washington Post, I think. Good. Okay. Well, yeah. this was sent in by a listener. Thank you very much for sending it in, people. Uh, th their comment was, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, because what? No, honey, what? <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> so what do you think about this? I mean, it sounds, it's bananas. This is bananas. Like, all right, I understand there are... Okay, so there are actually disabled people, physically and emotionally, um, and then there's this bitch who, like, fucking is not good. Okay, if you can't get through a an exam without breaking down and crying because your professor doesn't answer the telephone, how I don't understand how she's expected to then nurse people back to health. Yes! <laughs> like, huh? I'm so glad you mentioned I, I that. Can't, I can't even do that kind of math, like the kind of trigonometry involved with figuring that equation out, because <laughs> there's no way that works out. There's no way. Fuck you. And she wants what now? Yes. <laughs> they're liable for unspecified damages in excess of $75,000 because you suck? Because you're scared <laughs> of shit? I have, okay, look. 
True confession time. I have almost no um, sympathy for people with anxiety disorders. And I have to say that really quietly because I know a lot of people (laughs) with anxiety disorders. But, okay, I won't say no sympathy. But um, Minimal. (laughs) Very little sympathy, especially if – okay, first of all, are you medicated, sweetheart? Because everyone I know with, with anxiety disorders, they take a pill every day and they're fine. They carry on with their life exactly as they did, like exactly as us normal people do without it. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm not normal. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so if she's okay, if she's medicated and she's still a fucking freak, then she can't be my, she cannot be a nurse. <laughs> but if she's not medicated, then, then fuck her, like double fuck her. I can't help but think that this, and it probably is not this case, but I feel like this is the result of telling your kids you can do anything you want. I think it's definitely a failure of, of parental guidance. I think if, it's a. I think this is a. a I'm going to sound like Grandma Aaron over here, but oh, Anna Aaron's got something to say. But it the kids these days, man, they think they're <laughs> fucking owed something. Like whatever happened to hard work <laughs> and yeah, if you if you can't do something. Do something you can do. Like right. figure uh-huh. something else out. Is nursing such a such a dream of yours that despite your absolute failure <laughs> through school, you still think you should be a nurse? Like, yeah. are you mental? Like, I know you have an anxiety problem, but I think you might have a mental disorder above and beyond that. Like, you think you're Napoleon or something. You're not going to be a nurse. Not everyone should be able to do what they want to do. I would like to rule the world, but guess what? Yeah. <laughs> Not gonna happen. Or will it? Sometimes your your dreams are unattainable dreams. <laughs> and I know I know some really great nurses and I'm certain that they're laughing at this girl because <laughs> if you're gonna I mean you can't unless you wanna just like work in the geriatric ward and just change mm. diapers, maybe. Like I guess you could do that unless you live in the high out. life. <laughs> But, like, you couldn't be an ER nurse. You couldn't be any kind of nurse if you were just freaked out by exams. Yeah, no, no stress at all. No way. Because if a kid came in with a freaking lopped off finger, blood spurting everywhere, and mm-hmm. she has an anxiety attack, that kid could really be in big trouble. Oh, yeah, I mean. Like, anyone, it's so, what the fuck? I'm as anxious as the next person. I am really bad under pressure and I suck under stressful situations like some people are like oh no and under stress I excel well no that's not that's not me at all like under stress I fucking shut down like my whole my eyes roll back into my head and I go into a fugue state and I just (laughs) shut down so I've pretty much um made a life around that you know like I I I say this almost every episode, but I I do like to think that I know my weaknesses and mm-hmm. I don't do well under stress. So I'm not going to put myself, I don't I work in a library <laughs> where it's <laughs> quiet and leave people shush me and leave me alone um, because I don't do well under stress. I don't enjoy it. I have no time for being stressed out. So I'm not a nurse. <laughs> it's absurd that you can think that because you want something, even though you are incapable of earning it, you are still owed. You know, right. like just her entire the premise of this entire lawsuit is it, it baffles me. How can her parents yeah. be okay with this? 
I understand why a lawyer would, because of course they're right. just bottom feeders and they want to make some money. But yeah. a rational thinking human being taking a step back and examining this, no fucking way. Like if if I was her man, I would be smacking her in the face, not literally, oh my but God. maybe this woman literally is not, behind closed doors, but not. <laughs> she's not, not part man. of a couple, I guarantee you. <laughs> it's <too laughs> stressful, man. Yeah, man. Something Try it sometime. Try being in a relationship, sweetie. And then um, <laughs> fucking talk to me about stress. <laughs> yeah. No, this yeah, is I, crazy. I, yeah. I can't believe that we as a culture have come to a place where this is even possible. Like, this isn't laughed out of the court immediately. Or even when you walk in to the lawyer's office, they're just not, like, laughing in your stress-filled face <laughs> and causing you to break down and cry. Like, that should have been the reaction. Like, no, no, you do not get to file a lawsuit. You failure of a human being. Go work at McDonald's. Like, that's probably yeah. still too stressful, maybe. Go work at a library. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, man. I don't get it. Okay, so thank you for sending that in. I don't know what you really wanted us to go through other than the same reaction you had. What the fuck? I mean, I could have taken an opposing viewpoint just for fun, but I yeah. like, but something in my heart wouldn't let me. Well, can you? I mean, can you manufacture yes. one? Yes. I mean, people do. People have. I, I guess they say that... What she has is an actual disability, and it's covered under this fucking disability act. And and all she wants to do is take the test again. That's all she wants. Except that's not all she wants. She wants seventy five thousand dollars for her pain and suffering. But or maybe it's for the I don't know, who knows. But I mean, there, yeah, I definitely read arguments uh, in favor of this girl's lawsuit. I see. And here's why I don't understand that is because this is a decision she came to this is something she desired this isn't if this was primary education like uh, you know k through 12 then i would agree give her a second chance work around her disability but this is something that she chose it's not something that someone else chose for her it's not some mandated government or cultural thing this is her saying I would like to be X, and I'm going to try to be X, even though I have a disability that prevents me naturally from being it, from attaining yeah. it, and even from, if you did attain it, actually effectively doing it. Right, yeah. So how could step. you possibly think, <laughs> even in the most insane world, that we owe her as a society because she's deficient to go to her level? Mm -hmm. In a professional environment. That's in fucking sane. Literally, at best, someone's life could be in danger. At worst, someone's life is over. Like, that's the result of a nurse not being able to handle pressure. That's her sole job, is to exist in, <laughs> in pressure-filled situations. Like, you don't go to the doctors because you want to, like, give them a coffee and shake their hand and say, how do you do? You go because shit's fucked up. Like, you have to yeah. be able to deal with mad stress coming at you from upset parents, from angry spouses, from upset, you know, stress-filled people. Like, there, yeah. there's no fucking way. She oh, did. Yeah. Anyone, anyone that argues in favor of this woman, I think gen they should, like, be forced to have her as their nurse. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And then live with your fucking decisions, people. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right, let's do this next one here. Okay. 
This is Newsday.com. Across U.S., knife laws can differ by state, city, even town. This is actually from the Associated Press, uh, posted May 17. Okay, and so this is obviously a result, it seems, uh, from the Freddie Gray's arrest and uh, later death. So I'm just going to read a couple things here at the beginning and then at the end. A few miles off in any direction and the debate about the knife involved in Freddie Gray's arrest by Baltimore police may have been completely different. State of Maryland is one set of laws governing knives. The city of Baltimore has its own rules. Caught in the middle are people like Gray, who probably have no idea whether carrying a legal purchased knife can lead to criminal charges. A conflict between laws about knives is not unique to Maryland. Nationwide knife laws vary in neighboring towns, countries, I'm sorry, counties, cities, and states. The mishmash makes it difficult for citizens to comply. Um, has a person, quote, has a person supposed to know whether uh, what the law is and how they're supposed to know that there's a difference in the law between jurisdictions, says Jan Billib, uh, executive director of the American Knife and Tool Institute, which advocates for greater knife rights in the United States. Between 2012 and 2014, Baltimore averaged four homicides and 183 aggravated assaults with edged weapons, which could include knives, compared to, I love that I love that which could not necessarily do but we're going to include that in the discussion anyway uh, compared with 23 homicides and 109 aggravated assaults with firearms according to data posted by the city on its website um, and then there's a bunch of information about that and I'm going to jump down to um, Baltimore police argued that Gray's knife was illegal inside city limits one of the officer Lawyers said the knife may have been illegal under state law as well. Doug Ritter, founder and chair of the Knife Rights, Inc., said most knife experts would disagree that Gray's knife was illegal, even under Baltimore law, but there's no single definition. It's ridiculous that someone traveling through a, metro um, a metropolitan area can go through a dozen city lines crossing a metro ah! metropolitan lines and have to deal with a half a dozen laws regarding the knife in his pocket, Ritter said. Knife right groups are fighting for state preemptive knife laws, I'm sorry, preemption knife laws, which would stop towns, cities, and counties from enacting knife laws different from what has been approved by the state. Currently, Alaska, Arizona, Georgia, Kansas, New Hampshire, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Utah have state knife preemption laws. Colorado, New Mexico, South Dakota, and Wyoming also have laws that prevent local jurisdictions from going beyond the state knife laws, Billup said. In 2013, firearms were used in 69% of homicides, nationally, while knives or other cutting instruments were used only 12.2% of homicide deaths, according to a national crime report from the Justice Department and FBI. So, um, I think it's important we have a knife discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. I, I know this is a reaction to the Gray death because mm -hmm. that is being used as the catalyst for why he was initially arrested. Right. Um, and whether or not his knife was legal or not, I'm not sure I won't even have that discussion. I just want to say, why the fuck are people carrying around knives? <laughs> Is this Crocodile I, Dundee? I don't I get love it. The, I don't get the knife thing. Like, Oh, I get it. <laughs> all right, please, can you educate this dumb person here? I Probably don't understand not, that. Well, I don't know how to, t to explain it to you to make it. I just think that, um, I just think, Knives are a better idea than guns, first of all. I think everyone should have a weapon on them at all times. Oh, really? And, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think it's a bad idea, though. I don't, right. I, uh, I don't either at all. Right. I mean, yeah. I just um, think it's I've, weird. It, it seems like a remnant of the 80s. Like, it's a very 80s <laughs> thing. Carrying around a switchblade or a butterfly knife. Or, I, I expect John claude Van Damme to be in any scene whenever <laughs> there's a, a knife involved. 
him or Crocodile Dundee? One of the two. Uh, always. <laughs> it's like it's like the the dude who has the knife is the dude who has his like flip phone in his belt, and right next to that is the Leatherman. <laughs> That's like a utility belt. Yeah, like who are you, Batman? <laughs> are you really going to be in so much diverse experience in a day that you're going to need an entire fucking utility belt? <laughs> what do you do? And I understand like some jobs obviously are going to require some types of tools. Right. But if you're just living day to day, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, I also don't get the concealed carriers. I don't want to stop him from doing it just right. in the same way I don't want to stop people from carrying knives but I just don't understand it are you really thinking that any second you're going to get into a knife fight like you're going to have a dance knife fight is that, <laughs> is that what's I love happen? how that's where you go this because that's the sharks and the jets <laughs> like it's just so weird I don't find it weird at all <laughs> so what would you okay so of the people you know who carry, I, and I'm I'm totally guessing if you know any or not. I do. I of do. the people you know that carry around knives on a daily basis, what are those knives used for? Um, opening boxes, uh, <laughs> cutting uh, my shoelaces. So would you need to have a questionably door. legal knife in order to open a box? <laughs> no, I guess not. <laughs> like, I just... I just don't understand. And and I know some people are going to be a little bit pissed because they, you know, they're listening to this with a knife strapped in their sock <laughs> or in on their waist. Like, fuck you, Whitey. You you know, you live in a safe environment, so you're not in moral danger at any given second. We need our knives. I just don't get it. I understand if it's a cultural thing, like if you're a hunter and it's just kind of how you dress for the day. Like, it's just it's so ingrained in your culture. I need my knife. But for the people who carry around knives that are semi-legal or vague in the legal definition, is it because you want to look like a tough guy? Is it because you really think you're going to get in a knife fight? Or is it because you just like the cool factor of having a cool-looking blade? And if that's the case, you <laughs> there's something wrong, man. There's something wrong. I'm all for it. I love these guys. I love guys who carry knives. <laughs> I'm going to start carrying a knife yeah. now. Just because you like it, not because I like it, because you, you should. Like, hey, Aaron, it's, hey, I, I, it's because it's awesome. <laughs> hey, I'm sharpening my knife right now. <laughs> On a webcam. See, and the thing is, like, when when I go camping and stuff, well, of uh -huh. course, why wouldn't you have a knife on you? Like, that makes total sense. Right. Commuting to work, no fucking way at all. Like, I just there's and just no it's way a. It's like an urban jungle. You don't understand. You don't know what it's like in Baltimore, man. <laughs> Apparently not. There's knife fights all the time. I have heard stories. <laughs> <I've> heard... <laughs> when you're a shark, you're a shark for life. <laughs> I assume I the same that. is true for jets. I don't know. Yeah. No, and okay, so this is just me making fun of fucking knife owners. I, I actually, you know, yeah. do you, whatever. So do you think <laughs> do the legality you? of it, do you think there's a real difference... And, and I guess it's the same uh -huh. difference that people try to make between assault weapons and non-assault weapons. You know, your rifles and your pistols. Sure. Where one is not used in the course of, I don't know, as an example, hunting versus, I don't know, gunning down a store owner. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, a, a militiaman. So <laughs> there, there's a separation on the gun sphere that the the public conversation sort of has is that the same separation as you understand it for knives 
Say that again? Is the separation uh, for guns being for uh, violence uh, or military use versus public use the same as with for knives? So we don't want this type of a knife because it's not used in regular civilian use? Like, I don't understand this, why there's no spring-loaded knife, for example. Yeah, I guess it's a matter of degrees, sort of with this, with with guns and firearms and rifles. It's you have to draw the line somewhere, and why not here? You know, there's or there's several arguments we can make for why here and not, you know, with spring loaded or back and forth. You know, you have to pick a place eventually, <laughs> other mm -hmm. or you're just gonna argue like the like is going on now. There's just like no, if you take a little bit this way, then it's in violation of the federal law, and if you go back, you know, this way, it's in violation of the state law. But what I don't understand about this article, and they say it a couple of times, is like who the person, whoever the the voice of this article is, just kind of like how is anyone ever supposed to know if their knife is legal well like fucking look it up asshole like you know if you if you're gonna carry a knife fucking do your homework and figure out where you can have the knife that you want to carry and where you can't that seems I'm, pretty fucking simple to me like i do I'm know a lot of people that what's that i i'm really glad you brought that up because it's yeah it's an argument that i was uh, i was totally forgetting about um and it, you know yeah. when you first read this you know, how could that guy know he had a, if you own the knife, how you have, as a responsible person, you should absolutely look at it. It's the same way. How do you know if you have a legal gun? You do your homework because you're not yeah. a fucking criminal. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm, yeah, that's exactly my point is that every guy that I know that carries a knife knows exactly where it's legal and where it's not and where, when to leave it home and when to bring it, you know? Mm -hmm. They do their homework, and that's all. I, mean, I love how they're like, "How is anyone supposed to know?" Like, uh, fucking the internet. Like, <laughs> at, at the bottom of the, like, there's a tiny URL at the end of this article that give you just opens to a spreadsheet that just explains everything that you need to know. Like, if you're going to buy and carry a gun, I mean, a knife, figure out where you can and where you can't. It's not like Freddie Gray was just like, "I'm gonna get this knife and." Um, oh, I'm sure it's fine. You know, fucking, he knew what he was doing. I hate to say it, <laughs> but he, he had probably a knife. didn't even think about the legality no, of it. He was just like, I'm yeah. gonna own a fucking knife and I'm gonna use it if I need to use it. Like that's well, all was there a, was. He was a criminal. After yeah, straight all, up. You know, <laughs> so yeah, it's weird because it's the same conversation that's being had, and, and I mentioned this earlier. The same type of a conversation that's being had about gun ownership. You have your law-abiding citizens that would like to own weapons for any fucking reason but they do it legally and then you right. have criminals yeah exactly <laughs> you can't expect the criminals to care about the laws just because they're fucking criminals like they why would they? <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. my point you know so funny and so i love i love the defense that comes out well how, how is this criminal supposed to know <laughs> Well, I don't know. Maybe if he was a smart criminal, he would have done his fucking homework. Like, I feel like we should have it. Why are all criminals dumb, too? Like, we should have, like, an education system for fucking villains. You need to know your gun laws yeah. if you're going to be a successful villain. Course 101, 201, and 301. Let's just yeah. set it up. And that way, crime can be intelligent and not retard. I'm not saying anyone should commit. I'm just <laughs> saying if you're going to commit crimes, don't be dumb. Well, they're, these are, of course, the only ones we hear about are the stupid idiots. The ones that are successful criminals we will never hear about because they're a shit. <laughs> Someone already set successful. up this program. Yeah, well. <laughs> I'm late in the game, man. I gotta, 
I gotta take this course. I'm gonna be Get the next super it. villain. <laughs> <laughs> Such a weird article. There, I I do truly appreciate because it's sort of the foundation of our system of government, even though it's not really used that way. The presumption of innocence until proven guilty. Um, mm -hmm. That is the. It, it's like the thin layer of locks on this shit bagel. <laughs> <laughs> that we're being forced in this article to eat. Yeah. That he was a victim. How did he possibly know? Motherfucker was a criminal with a fucking illegal knife. Like, he didn't even care. if it wasn't <laughs> illegal, even if it wasn't a, a legal knife, right. he's a criminal. Yeah. He <laughs> Why is this being care. the conversation? It yeah. was funny. All right. All right. Well, right. interesting article, I thought. I, I thought it would be a nice... I, I know that you know people who carry knives and so I definitely want to have the conversation be especially because you came from a background uh, as you said before a little a little more um I don't know a period of fascist <laughs> a little more aggressively violent than I did at the period of your life so I knew you would have uh, some insight on it that uh, I would like to speak to you about so uh yeah good times <laughs> I hope it helped <laughs> get your own knife people but make sure it's legal you know all this joking aside i was the dude walking around with brass knuckles with the fold-out knife well like, there you up. go <laughs> i was that dude <laughs> <laughs> throughout all of my youth i'm my I own worst that. enemy <laughs> i'm such a dumbass <laughs> all right um let's uh what's next is it oh is it down to the crossroads next it's time yeah let's do it baby yeah this is Darren Deicide. You starve for the facts, but you can't find them. You know you are tangled in a web of spin, and you don't know which way to turn. Join me as I broadcast Agent Provocateur from the bowels of the barracks, where we deconstruct global affairs, pulling up the ugly truth and smearing the hypocrisy in the faces of the masses. Join me only if you're prepared to question everything you may have believed to be true. And have a few laughs in the process. This is Agent Provocateur. You want to stay out in this blackout? Sure is dark tonight. Thank you for the ride, sir. I think I'll be fine. See yourself. What are you doing out here? Oh, I'm, I'm headed down to the crossroads. <laughs> Wait, miss. You can't be. You're the. You're the devil. devil. But you're. You're beautiful. beautiful. Just sign here. Oh my god. Hey, everybody. It's your hey, good pal, me. And it's time for Down to the Crossroads. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so this week, this month, 
the theme is I, I've never done this before. This whole show is dedicated to BB King because we have lost a legend. Um, mm-hmm. BB King, who died on May 14th, uh, was kind of the last of the great bluesmen. You know, he was born in 1925, so he was old as shit. Um, but he came from Mississippi, he came from the Delta, where all the music came from, and uh, he was one of the the last true legendary bluesmen. So I figured it was it was um, in honor of him. I think we should dedicate an entire Down to the Crossroads to him. I'm game. Yeah, like man. It. So let's get started. We're gonna start with a song called Three O'clock Blues." Yeah. So sweet, isn't it? Just creamy and delicious sounding. It's so this, it's really interesting because he, I, I don't always love his later no, music. I, I don't but either. <laughs> this something like this yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, this is I chose this one because this was actually his. This is kind of what launched his career. This was his first number one hit, and it was on the R and B charts actually. Um, it's called Three O'clock in the Morning. It was recorded in Memphis in 1951 at like a YMCA. He had so he had been recording with Sam Phillips from Sun Records for um, a couple years, few years before. But this was the song um, that just sort of launched his career. It was it's a cover song. It's originally from uh, written and recorded by Lowell Falson. I'm not sure if I played him before, but he's one of the Delta bluesmen that was recorded. In, 1946 but there's just you can already hear sort of the the what made bb king bb king and that was the sort mm-hmm. of like uh, the sound that sort of, came, sort of came out of nowhere where it was just this, this drama and urgency of his singing and um with the sort of coupled with the way he played his guitar and this sort of just deeply moving way i don't know how to, i uh words are failing me now because of the way that you know he was voted one of the best you know i think at rolling stone poll or something like that he was the third greatest guitar player of all time after like jimmy hendrix and had a i don't know jimmy page i don't know who that's Dwayne crazy Alton. but anyway yeah he's just like i mean he it's easy to forget because we've all kind of always known bb king you know I may have told the story before, but my first concert was supposed to have been a B.B. King concert. Um, but I was such a shithead that my mom <laughs> locked me in a closet and left me there um, and went off without me. But he was just sort of ubiquitous in my childhood. Like, he, that's, he's my parents listened to him. So I didn't give him, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of like, who, you know, it wasn't like Robert Johnson to me where there was this mystery and allure because B.B. King was alive and he was playing concerts like there was nothing really just like ooh ooh, ooh, is this mysterious man he was just like this kind of fat black dude who just sat on a stool and played the guitar and for me as a kid like didn't do anything for me Um, and so it's easy to forget why he is the legend that he is but then you go back and you listen to these songs and Mm -hmm. you hear his guitar playing and sort of go oh yeah no shit like yeah, it's interesting before this song, he, he was. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say just before uh, he recorded this song, he was playing all acoustic. So this is sort of the first electric BB King that you hear on the song. So I, that's why I chose to start with this one because it is sort of the introduction of BB King to the world in a, on a large scale. That was a brilliant, brilliant track. I I do like the, you know, if you're just listening to his voice then he's very similar to a lot of other blues musicians in his delivery and his emphasis. Yeah. 
I don't think he has a very special voice in any in any stretch of the imagination compared to his peers. However, as soon as you add in that layer of guitar and his yeah. particular sound and style, because it, that is what defines him, uh, in at least the way I see it, then you cannot. You can just have zero music, have eight different guitar songs, link like back to back, and you will be able to pick out the BB King one. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, he definitely had a sound all his own. And really defined and, and informed everyone mm -hmm. that came after. I mean, it's oh yeah. There's a handful of blues musicians who did that. Uh, what's wonderful about uh, Down to the Crossroads, to, for me, is that we are introduced to blues musicians who have inspired other blues musicians. Well, people yeah. like B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, they inspired rock musicians. Yeah, and then it exactly. spread from there. So it wasn't contained in the blues. They broke that barrier. And that's, so that's a really good point. Yeah. Part of I mean, what's he, really exciting. He influenced a generation, uh, you know, he, along with other blues musicians. But B.B. King was definitely in the running for influencing all of rock music. You know, um, mm -hmm. I mentioned a couple names like Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton. I mean, Eric yeah. Clapton is the sole heir to B.B. King's legacy. You know, he they made albums together. They were just kindred spirits. You know, it's funny to think that B.B. King, and he talks about this. I've, I've heard interviews with him where it's just like, oh, the white boys are just taking over. Like, you know, <laughs> and it's true. Like, nobody plays the blues anymore except white dudes for the most part. Um, you know, the big names when you think about blues is now, like, live and now that B.B. King's dead, it's fucking Eric Clapton, it's, you know, it's Jimmy Page, which is cuckoo bananas to me because that's not the blues. And that's the problem I always kind of had with B.B. King. You know, I, I'm not a big fan um, of his music necessarily, but I can't disregard what kind of influence he's had on the music. He was sort of the last, you know, he was the last like the old school dudes playing this music mm -hmm. anyway yeah. so let's go on uh the next song i have okay. <laughs> i fucking love this song <laughs> i've had so much fun getting back into this stuff this song is um as a lot of journalists like like to point out um like sir mix a lot didn't wasn't the first man to write a song about women with big butts so this song <laughs> is called you upset me baby uh and he starts out giving like the measurements of this woman like 36 28 44 <laughs> big legs you know you have to move <laughs> you know on he this breaks song. down yeah man it's good <laughs> And I just love the way he says, you know, the song title is called You Upset Me, Baby, but he always sings You Upsets Me, Baby. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so it's basically just a love song to thick women, you know. He talks about, you know, he's just talking about, it's a timeless <laughs> appeal of big, you know, especially, well, let's not get racist, but, you know, especially among black men. They like the, mm -hmm. their women thick. This whole song is just an ode to that sort of like big women and <laughs> like nice, being uh, hit by a full tree. Yeah, it's just a nice moving beat to a really, oh, really yeah. funny, really entertaining premise. I love it. Yeah, it's great. This it's just a great song. You know, it sounds a little. You know, you can hear Little Richard in this, and you can hear that just um, bop sort of rock and roll. Like the, just you can hear early rock and roll in a song like this. Yeah. 
R&B, right when R&B was uh, lurching toward rock and roll. This is, you know, this this was also a number one hit on the R&B charts, but it's definitely blues. You know, this is 12-bar blues in this song, in the previous song too, but they both made the um, charts on rhythm and blues charts. Did you have um, uh, the date on this one? This is uh, a little bit later. What it was... Because it is, it is very much what you would expect to hear in, like, a malt shop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Big, big 50s dresses and shit. Yes, it's very much the early, the early moments of, of rock and roll. I love this era. I really love this kind of music. Do you think that this was ever seen as like a sellout of the blues because it is much more up and energetic. I don't know. You know, it's, I don't know what the um, sort of climate of the day was as far as yeah. did people think in terms of like sellout back then? I mean, I'm sure yeah, they did, but they had I'm a different. I'm really word. interested in that. Yeah, that is a really interesting question. I never thought about it, but certainly somebody somewhere. <laughs> There's always been critics, you know. Certainly mm. somebody was just like, "Oh no, fuck this." I mean, because, you know, you take someone like Buddy Guy, whose early stuff was very core to the Delta sound, but his later stuff is very much more like this type of stuff. You know, it's yeah. it's very much, you know, a lot more pop influenced, a lot more, you know, casual rock and roll influence. So, I, I don't know. I, I imagine there are purists out there, but I just oh, sure. I wonder what the, the climate of the day was. If they were like, well, this is the only way we can make blues massively appealing and played on the radio, so let's go in this direction, or if it was just a natural evolution of the blues from the I mean, Delta? I don't know. I couldn't possibly speak to that, but I can't. I think I can sort of guess that B.B. King didn't have those kind of aspirations. He was sort of just like, this is the music I want to make, and he had a very clear vision of the kind of music that he wanted to make, and it didn't mm -hmm. matter to him who was, you know, he cared about his audience. He didn't care about the journalists. I think he's very specifically said, like, I didn't make music for journalists, I made music for the people who come to my concerts. And, you know, that's what he did, was he played 200 concerts a year, like, almost his entire life, he was out on the road, and he connecting with people, and I don't think it was, he. I don't think it was calculated, you know, he didn't say, I'm gonna mix a little bit of rhythm and you know, blues with the Lonnie, you know, what Lonnie Johnson was doing at the time, and, and move that, you know, he just was like, ah, oh, this is the music I was born to make. <laughs> it is, it's, it's really interesting because I, I distinctly remember before joining the military and uh, going off to George, or I'm sorry, um, to Germany, seeing concert promotion posters for B.B. King. Then we went over mm -hmm. to Germany, uh, Mannheim, Germany. The first month we were there, B.B. King was there. And then we went to Arizona and B.B. <laughs> yeah. King was coming. It, he he yeah, toured man. his entire career. Like he was not one of those people that was like, I have a new album to promote. Let's go on tour for the new album and then sit and just you know, rake in the cash from sales or something. Yeah. He was a performing musician, and that... Oh, yeah. I don't know. It, it seems like a distinctly blues trait where you were in the bars performing yeah. for your fucking dinner. This is how you made your money by live performance. It wasn't, you know, become a big rock star and make money off of your sales of records mm -hmm. or CDs or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. And BB King, that was just who he was. He just wanted to play music. You know, it was mm. just in him. He, what else did he have? He didn't want to just sit on, you know, sit on his laurel, rest on his laurels and not tour. Like his whole thing was, I like, I love an audience. I love that connection. So it's great. Let's uh cool. play this last song. Yeah. This is a little bit later. This is. Oh yeah. Yeah, that other one was probably that came out. I think it was recorded right around the same time as the first one so it's probably early 50s and you could hear that mm. yeah like you said like that malt shop kind of sound <laughs> and this is you know this is definitely something else yeah this is the bb king that i think yeah. every listener will know exactly yeah and that's why i chose it to close this out it was sort of like this is the air this is when he was just um you know later in life he'd already found what he was looking for and he found his sound as best as he could find it and this sort of this song is I mean, the lyrics are great. It's a great song about, you know, like, I pay the bills around here, so I make the rules kind of thing, but, <laughs> um, which is funny. It's in an end, you know, it's so antiquated, that kind of thinking, but it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is it? I feel like whether it's a guy or a girl making the majority of the money, I feel like they kind of still think that way. <laughs> probably. Oh, yeah, probably. But like it's I very... contribute the most, so I get the most say. <laughs> yeah. I think it's less, um, the chasm between what a man and a woman makes yeah, is yeah. becoming a little bit less. So the power dynamic has shifted some, but you know, you gotta be crazy woman. If you think I'm going to pay all these bills and then listen to you bitch about me going to play <laughs> poker, like that's not how shit works around here. So yeah. <laughs> it's rough. But, yeah. it, it seems like such a natural way of thinking from the way I was raised. Like, oh, but yeah. I, I understand it's so not accepted yeah. nowadays. <laughs> yeah, man. Good luck if you try pulling some shit like this. <laughs> if you ever said to a woman, I'm paying the cost to be the boss, they'd be like, oh, fuck you. Like, good luck. I'm taking my pussy and I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> I do love that about it. It's sort of like this underlying theme of, in, in all blues music. It's I'm expecting this to be my life and it's turning out to be this what the hell is happening? Like, yeah. this is why I have the blues. It is not the way it's supposed to be. Right. She doesn't yeah. appreciate finding out I have three mistresses. What the hell? I thought she was going to be psyched. Like, less <laughs> pressure on her. Yeah, I pay the money. Why doesn't she do what I want? I don't get it. I should be allowed to play poker once a week with my homies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's some old school <laughs> thinking there stuff, for you. Man. But yeah, man. So BB King, our rest in peace and shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, he wasn't my, I mean, Muddy Waters was my first introduction to blues. And so mm -hmm. I, I very much have a affinity for him over BB King. There are a number of BB oh, yeah. King songs shit. and performances I like. But, you know, to be fair, I also think BB King is part of the reason why so many asshats got involved in the blues, which is part, in my oh. opinion, of the current degenerated state of the blues. I know a yeah. lot of people really loved, like, the Blues Brothers, but... No, nobody did. <laughs> okay, did they? Good. Oh, God, I hope not. It, that's, that drove me crazy. Like... Ugh. Seeing Cab <laughs> Calloway perform in that was is so sad to me, and exactly. like Legis. the second one <laughs> was just the worst of all. It was just like all these blues musicians get together and do the super cheesy performance scene, so cool. and I lost so much respect for all of them. Like, yeah, come on! Me too. 
I never oh, saw the second one, but from the Oh, it's such a it, nightmare. Oh my gosh. Well, to be honest, I've never seen the first one all the way through, and I never will, because fuck that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the <laughs> I've only, seen enough of it. Yeah. The only good part about the first one, in my opinion, is the, um, um, oh, the reverend scene uh, with, um, oh, I can't believe, what? Nothing. Oh. <laughs> I was making a sister act joke. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten that one. Um, oh, I can't believe I can't remember his fucking name. Oh, James Brown. That's it. Uh, he oh. just did this really wonderful <laughs> reverend scene, which that that one scene made the whole movie for me. But then, like all the music and stuff, I I just felt so sad because it was just like this. At the time, a dying awareness of blues authenticity and yeah. it seemed like a cheap way of bringing it back and i i really think that uh i, I think it did more harm than good <laughs> i think there's better ways to expose people to blues music like and i'm a little biased but like down to the crossroads Thanks. where you get an authentic feel and not trying to regurgitate it through humor or popular culture yeah i agree so, uh, well done. That was a Thanks. fantastic episode. I like that. Thanks. I didn't even get to all the good parts, but... Oh, I'm sorry. I <laughs> we'll talk about that next time. No, no, it's fine. It's all technical stuff. <laughs> it's I, stuff. I always do a lot of homework on, like, the technical stuff. Like, what was the make and model of his guitar and all this shit. But we never get to it. But that's probably for the best, because that's... Oh, man. Only that's shit probably I what people really want to hear, too. <laughs> They're like, shut the fuck I up, know, Adam. I want to hear the fine. technical stuff. <laughs> Why is he talking more about his humbucker pickups? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Oh, man. Well, I thought that was fantastic. All right. Um, we. Uh, sorry for all of you who wanted the technical stuff. Maybe we can figure out a way to weave it into something later. It's, I'll just, it's Adam's fault. I'll just shut up next episode. It'll just be Aaron. <laughs> so it'll actually be, like, so much better. <laughs> and I'll just read my notes from start to finish. B.B. <laughs> King. Born. Awesome. <laughs> Point one. <laughs> How can the good people listening find a little more about Down to the Crossroads online? I'm on Facebook at Down to the Crossroads. I'm also on Twitter at Chelsea Girl 19. Uh, Spotify. I'll put the link up. If you go like the page on Facebook, I promise I will put the link up so you can listen to the songs while we talk about them. Yeah, Spotify. We were talking at the beginning of the show. Spotify may have altered the way that they offer the music and so we're gonna hope that we can provide the song tracks on nine cents but really facebook.com slash down the crossroads is your best bet so check there first uh the link will be there we will continue trying to get you i'm sorry i just totally burped in the microphone <laughs> <Grody>. so gross <laughs> i have a wine burp Ugh. um we're going to try to get the music to you in every possible way that you want to get it, uh, but Facebook is probably the first line of attack you should be hitting. I don't even think you have to be a member of Facebook, right, in order to see a page? No, everything is public on there, so you should be all right. Yeah, all right. So all of you who really despise Facebook, I understand, but you can still get the show notes, so do yourselves a favor. Tune in down to the crossroads. Aaron is doing a wonderful job. Okay. All right, uh, let's do a little creature feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by the one and only, the very beautiful Heather Height. How are you, my dear? 
I'm fantastic. How are you, Adam? Mm, I am so good now. Now that we have a chance to talk, it, it, the last time we spoke was a couple weeks ago. It was a really, really cool experience. I'd never met you in person before, though I have had you on the show before. Yeah. So um, I really appreciate you coming back, but you're on the show again for uh, some really exciting news. Now, I am a, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be capitalizing on the Heather Height train here on Nine Cents in a number of ways. Um, we have, uh, we, you have some exciting projects coming in the future that have been announced in social media uh, or teased in social, social media, but we're actually going to be talking today specifically about you contributing to Nine Cents. Yes, I'm very excited to be a uh, contributor to your show. And actually, I uh, was just kind of facetiously <laughs> brought it up to begin with, <laughs> and it's turning into like a real thing, so... I'm excited about it. I'd never really thought about it until you brought it up. And I was like, why? Yeah. No. What? Yes. <laughs> this this must be like it has to happen. So I'm really actually glad you uh, you made that that joke uh, because I think it's going to end up turning into something truly wonderful. I think people out there listening are really, really going to enjoy. It. So let's talk about what this is going to be. What are you going to be calling this, this segment? Well, I was going to... Um call it like like go go off on the naughty bits podcast that Adina and I used to do mm -hmm. Dave said why don't you call it something different so I was like okay I'll call it something different so <laughs> going to be called something different me and it's about um really because stand-up is like a big part of my world obviously and comedy mm -hmm. and things that pertain to stand-up comics which I I hold very near and dear to me and so this is going to center around news that has to do with comedy and it doesn't sound like that would be a really broad subject that you could talk a lot about but this is me so <laughs> I can tell <laughs> the things that um, comedians are kind of under fire in social media a lot lately and they've been fighting back and there's a really interesting battle that has to do with kind of freedom of speech and you know the Comics are becoming this last bastion of, you know, fuck you, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I feel very strongly about. And um, not just in stand-up, but in, um, on, in television shows, somebody says something wrong, you know, on the news. So, and then somebody has to apologize. Public apologies are just the bane of human existence, I think. I, I feel like... Uh, it's the sign of the downfall of humanity that we all have to make public apologies for accidentally saying something or purposely saying something. How are you going to know who the assholes are if you can't say something wrong every once in a while? <laughs> yeah. You have to let people out themselves. <laughs> so I, I think that, uh, you know, if we're all a bunch of Stepford wives and pre-programmed, then, you know, either everybody is an asshole or... or Nobody is, you know. We can't be driving people underground. That's how bad things happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, people are being shoved into an oven, and that just never ends well. <laughs> no, usually. Well, I don't know. It worked out for Hansel and Gretel, I think. <laughs> well, they are tasty. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, because I think the premise is really, really important, though I I do tend to think that the argument from 
the freedom of speech side of things in, as it relates to comics usually begins and ends with comics. Like everyone's like, well, you know, it, we, we're becoming an increasingly politically correct world, which is silencing truth, really, when it comes down to honesty. And in that, the only people that get the pass or the only people that should get the pass, and I don't know if that last one is said as much, but it certainly seems like it to me, are comics. Like they, no matter what, they seem to be the only ones that are allowed to say the most raunchy and offensive things in the name of comedy. So as you look at it as a comedian, do you think that it should begin and end with comics or they're just the last battleground that could spread out to a wider audience? I, the latter, really. I think that I think that um, everyone should be able to speak their mind. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous to to think otherwise. We're not. I don't. I don't like the idea that. Um, and and as far as I'm concerned, the only people who are allowed to truly speak their mind right now, without repercussions, are, I guess, possibly um, black female lesbians would probably be the only people that that would be allowed to speak their mind without repercussions. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was a joke, Adam. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, okay. So, I mean, it is, it, I or, think it is, I'm sorry. sorry the downtrodden a group of people, mm-hmm. the more they, they seem to be allowed to, you know, like, I can say this because, you know, I have PTSD and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and I'm part of a minority and, you know, and I, I just... I don't think that it's going to be a good thing if the only people who are speaking their minds are, you know, people who are downtrodden victims and, and, and live their lives that way. I think that people who are like, no, I, I don't, I'm not going to come from this place where I'm the victim here. I don't believe that everybody should be victims. I think that and I'm going to speak my mind as a strong whatever my demographic is, you know, and that should be okay too. And this whole anti-white American male thing is is annoying. And we don't want to turn white American men into a, uh, into a downtrodden group of people because they're motherfuckers, you know, (laughs) and they're going to come back with vengeance. (laughs) Really? I don't care how excited. I actually have a lot of friends who, who are for the other for the it's the other side, but I don't really feel like I'm on a side specifically in this regard, but are on the, the, the side of like, you know, white people are going to be a minority and they're going to pay. And, you know, and I'm like, you don't want to do that. That just makes it's just the same thing. It's the same story all over again. And I don't I don't want white American men to get angry and feel downtrodden. They're going to that'll be horrible. You know what those people do? <laughs> what happened to the Native Americans? We force sterilize women. We throw Jews into ovens, as previously mentioned. <laughs> we throw uh, disease-contaminated blankets in with, I guess those are Spaniards, but still, in with the natives. Yeah, no, we, we uh, you don't want to upset us too much. We've had a, we've had a successful run. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's strictly because we're white men, but... <laughs> I don't want to castrate you people. You, you're scared of right penises. You guys love those things. And I just want to keep... Stay strong. Stay strong, man. It is interesting because a lot of, a lot of it comes down to, in, in the way I see it, um, ethnicity over culture, sex 
over uh, ethnicity, like we, we really do sort of uh, break down the categories of who is allowed to say this to some very basic things like uh, black males can say this, white males can say this. Do you think yeah. that that comes from s just complaining about it? Like like people uh, having either real or or manufactured um, offense? Or is that just something that we are naturally moving into to try to make make it even? I think that it comes from a combination of, of um, like guilt. There was a lot of guilt that came out of the 90s with there was, there was a lot of um, media like movies and stuff like do the right thing where there were there were good poignant social statements you know but then a lot I think a lot of and and uh, the um, <laughs> I guess it's all Spike Lee's fault really is what I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> then he did the, um, the Malcolm X film one of my favorites mm -hmm. love that movie but he's there was a lot of white guilt that came from that. Like people are going, oh, I'm so sorry for these things and that happened in the past. And that was propagated by by this, you know, political correctness movement. And I so I think that has a lot of like, the oh, the worst thing that you could possibly do is call somebody out as a racist. And I, I have had it happen to me and I don't <laughs> give a crap. If you think that I'm a racist, how about that? <laughs> Unapologetic racism. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't identify as a racist. And I don't believe that a lot of the things that are being categorized in that regard are true racism. I think that if you want to know true racism, you need to go back in time a couple hundred years and really live it. Because you, you know, you, you don't even have a grandparent alive. You mm. this visible angry black person i guess that i'm talking to <laughs> 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 and the i think that political correctness as a whole is 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 a sign of a species that no longer is bent on survival mm -hmm. because prejudice comes from like oh my god that saber-toothed tiger ate my uncle i'm going to stay away from saber-toothed tigers you know that's where it stems from is protection or or a learning process. If you, you know, if if uh, just not to pick on black people anymore, if a fucking white guy. <laughs> oh, great. Now we're moving to my kind. God damn it. Does something. And, and then you have a schema for that, because that's what we do from the time that we're born. We build schemas. We attach them to words. We we build an understanding and we put and we categorize shit. And it's a, it's a it's about learning about you don't see a herd of antelope walk by a pride of lions and the mommy antelope says don't hide your antlers that's gonna the <laughs> lions you know <laughs> like lions are you know aren't like did you see her cover up her antlers you know <laughs> that's so like it just does it so i just think that not learning about each other i i think that political correctness adds to not learning about each other. We have these wonderful differences. And it also leads to not appreciating each other and, and dulling down the, our, our, our heritages that are good, you know, rather mm -hmm. I don't like identifying as I think that's, you know, like, Oh, I'm, you know, I love B 
being German and I'm German and only Germans are good. I I am German. I'm not just saying that. Like, <laughs> you know, but I, I just watched like, again next time. But yeah. like that, that shouldn't be your whole identity. You should be you're you're a person, you know. And if you come from this, I, are Germans really people? I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm a person. I can't speak for all Germans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um. If you come from a more self-actualized place to begin with, that's mm. that's what we should be teaching people. If you're self-actualized, if you're familiar with the, you know, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm -hmm. model, then you don't, you honestly don't notice shit like that, you know? And not that I've achieved this, but I think that that's what we should be teaching. We shouldn't be teaching children, oh, don't say bad things about people. and don't, Because if you teach self-actualization... They wouldn't think to say something bad about somebody based on their color of their skin. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have a we have a uh, like a, a Prussian school system that's based on brainwashing kind of like we, we have a real indoctrination into politics and, and government. And one of the first things we learn is to be um, to be into our nation, you know, pledge allegiance. And mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. is what, you know, the founding fathers and that whole fake story about the pilgrims and, you know, and we learned to love our country. My, my third son, when he first went to kindergarten, we went to like a seven 11 and they had a big American flag. He made me stop and say the pledge of allegiance <laughs> in front of the, the convenience store <laughs> because wow. he was so like, they just, you know, get them. So, and he had his, tears were welling up in his eyes as we stood in the front of the convenience store in front of commuters on their way to work <laughs> and said the Pledge of Allegiance yeah. because and and the first thing you learn when if you you know in political science in college is the first is how they indoctrinate you into this into this like Prussian system of learning and that doesn't they don't want you to be self-actualized if they want you all to conform you know mm -hmm. at the uh, i think I, it is a, a really really interesting <laughs> idea because i mean what you're speaking to is as human beings in order to survive we have to be able to categorize separate if i'm going to be able to eat this food that means that guy over there can't or if he's going to move into my tribe i have to be the alpha or you know somehow you need to be able to separate people in order to survive and because this is like in our lizard brain this is a a fundamental part of who we are as human beings i mean it's not surprising nowadays that we're trying to stifle that because we do it in so many other ways trying to stifle our natures but it is a way of degenerating as a society, and it's weird that we're we're welcoming it, and so it's it's nice to be able to have. I'm going to sort of make a grandiose statement here. It's nice to be able to have a segment like something different that shines some light on some of this behavior that we may not see as being this way if it wasn't, you know, spotlighted on. So I am really excited for this segment to be doing just that, and it's nice to do it in a in a funny way, in a humorous way, because I think that's. I mean, honestly, I know I know you're going to be. Uh, really bringing this out to light in the next coming uh, episodes a lot more than I ever could. But um, it's a way that we can all relate that's not directly offensive, that, that eases you into thought. I think yeah. it, it, comedy does this in, in such a profound way that someone lecturing, you would never pick up the 
the poignant notes that you do if someone makes a clever joke. And so I, I think it's a really, really exciting uh, proposition that you're bringing to Nine Cents into the audience. Um, do you have any, uh, I don't know, maybe spoilers for potential future topics you might be touching on to, to wet the beaks of the listeners? I, I definitely would like to go over um, some points that I made at the super secret Satan meeting. Shh, shh, shh. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows about this. What do you know? It's super secret. <laughs> um, I, I, um, that was, that also was kind of on the, on the topic of, of specifically not apologizing the anti apology, um, speech. I, I would love to do a segment specifically on Patton Oswalt's. Yes. I, I, um, I, I would love to, uh, do a reading of Patton Oswalt's Twitter rant because I, I just thought it was brilliant and it really speaks to my, uh, my point. Anything that speaks to my point, I would like to do. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's, you know, I think I'm really clearing things up. Yeah, I, I think that a, that a segment of Pat Oswalt's Twitter rant would be, would be hilarious. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That was, that was like, completely epic. I didn't even catch it until I think it was the next day. Like after it had all happened. So I would have loved to have been able to, to experience that firsthand and stuff. That would have been cool. I just don't. I don't Dramatic reading, you will. Mm, I'm looking <laughs> forward to that. That would be a fun thing to do. <laughs> well, Heather, I'm really excited that you're coming on and you're doing this. Thank you so much. And I am uh, holding my breath. What, what interval do you think you're going to be uh, presenting on? I think that people can look forward to hearing me about once a week. That's going to be amazing. Once a week, really, not about, you know, unless they don't listen to every segment, and then it would be about once a week, or maybe once, you know, if they don't like it. Well, they'll be tuning in every week for you. They'll just be turning it off afterward. <laughs> like, hilarious. <laughs> it's going to be good. indicated by my, my, my nationalistic rant that I just <laughs> Well, we weaved in, like at the very beginning, throwing people in ovens, we touched on Nazi Germany, and then we finished with a nationalistic rant. So, pretty much this is, um, <laughs> this is going to be a, a resurgence of the Third Reich, really, is what I'm talking. Funny, you know? This is like, if, if Hitler was more comedic. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, if he could have been funny, he would have gone a lot further. Well, I think... See, he started with that Charlie Chaplin mustache. If he would have just done the hat bit, you know, where he's picking. If there was a cane involved at any point during the Third Reich, he would have won. I'm just saying, the hearts and minds is what he would have won. I'm sure that was his first intention. He's like this Charlie Chaplin dude, and it was all kind of culminated with Charlie Chaplin's, you know, film. Are you familiar with it? I am not. No. You got it. Okay, well, I'll talk about that in the future too. Hell yeah! It's been around for like a hundred years now, so I just thought everybody knew. I'm still <laughs> making my way through um, uh, Dawson's Creek. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I'll, I'll get to Chaplin as soon as I get through Dawson's Creek. I promise. <laughs> yeah. So, if, and you and you'll see. I think that Hitler's original intention was to be. Chaplin, like he just wanted to be a comedian. He's like this painting thing didn't work out, so 
he really was a horrible artist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to learn that, that hat bit. <laughs> How does, does he do that? He like kicks the hat and pretends to pick it up and then kicks it again. It gets, it's hilarious. <laughs> he he was just substituting a Jew for the hat. That's what he was doing. I kicked the Jew. It goes further. <laughs> oh, jeez. On that note. <laughs> a Jew, I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure not all of these are going to be super racist charged. So uh, definitely tune in every week. And I'm, again, Super excited about this. Thank you so much, Heather. Uh, until next week, until we can uh, really enjoy your very first official segment, Hail Satan. And that is going to do it, people, for yet another show. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'd love to hear from you. Visit the website, NonsensePodcast.com, and send your correspondence to info at NonsensePodcast.com. Let us know if any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general correspondence you might have. Let me know if you want me to shut up during the Down on the Crossroads segment, because I honestly will. <laughs> But I, because I mentioned at the top of the show, I only get so much time with Erin during the month that I really want to, you know, back and forth with her because I think she's fucking amazing at it. So I, I at your expense, listeners, <laughs> I'm being selfish and uh, talking with Erin. Uh, you can visit the Saint Net, Facebook, Google Plus, Twitter, MySpace pages for nine cents and get updated on weekly topics. And remember, you can download the show Mondays via the RSS feed. Brand new shows every week. We're also on Last FM, Stitcher, and YouTube. So tune in there. Look for us there. If you're getting us through iTunes or YouTube or Stitcher, leave us a rating and comment. Uh, it's important, and we appreciate it. And all of this content is free, so the only price is your interaction. I hope you're doing it, sending us correspondence and giving us ratings and comments. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And remember, the only way we're going to continue doing this is if you continue your interaction. So do so. Share nine cents. Once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Aaron. The one and only Aaron. I do not want to wait another 20 fucking years to see you again. I hope not. Mm. Well, until next week, hail Satan! Satan. <laughs> Hail Satan. <laughs> I want a doorbell like that. Hail Satan. Satan. <laughs> Hail Satan.